Occasionally at the seminary, we would have socials that would advertise drinks and libations. It was appealing, especially to poor, thirsty seminarians, even if it was just maybe a little bit irreverent. A libation has to do with a cup, probably of wine that was poured out over or around sacrifices. So in our second reading, St. Paul is suggesting that his life and impending death should be understood as an offering, a sacrifice. Israel's sacrificial system seemed to be in part a pointer to God's great acts in the past, like the Exodus, as well as a pointer to what he would yet do, the redemptive acts in the future. Martyrdom was understood as a distinguished way of participating in what God has done and in what he will do. But notice that libations were part of a liturgical act. So Paul is saying that his life and death are not only a sacrificial event, but a liturgical one, a form of true worship. Pope Benedict said that in Paul's martyrdom, he is drawn fully into the obedience of Christ, into the liturgy of the cross, and hence into true worship. I mean, this is something of what is meant when the priest says, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Saying, pray that your life is your offering, and that that might be acceptable to God, and that he might join your life to that sacrifice which made us whole, that redeemed us. True worship is something of this. True worship, Pope Benedict wrote, is the living human being who has become a total answer to God, shaped by his healing and transforming word. And that's the worship that Jesus spoke of as spirit and in truth, not only in mind, but in the reality, the context of my life. And that's why John Paul II said it's so important to actively participate in the church's liturgy, which is the source and somewhat of the life of those who follow Christ. This is one reason why a Catholic liturgy is so vastly different than a Protestant liturgy, and why it's incumbent upon parents to train children what's going on so it becomes they understand the relevance of what they're doing here. A life lived this way is a life lived according to what John Paul II called the law of the gift. And this isn't an arbitrary law like something that human beings would make, but one woven into the fabric of the human heart. It's kind of like how the law of gravity is woven into the fabric of life here on earth. When he was teaching at the university, John Paul II used examples of women in childbirth soldiers together in combat, and religious celibates to show how men and women that the students knew were examples of the law of the gift. We find fulfillment not through self-assertion, through getting our way, but through responsible self-giving. This law has its foundation in the Holy Trinity, in God who is a community of self-giving persons. A law sounds like obligation and restraint, but John Paul II understood it in terms of Jesus' words, the truth will set you free. His biographer notes that in one of the plays he created prior to becoming Pope, John Paul II brought this out in one of his characters he named Adam. Adam meditates on how hard it is to become selfless. Adam suggests that to become a father 
is to be liberated from the terrible freedom of self-centeredness and to be conquered by love. Isn't that great? And it gives clear evidence of how vastly different Christian marriage is from other alternatives. Men, women, called to that vocation priests in another complementary way. You're called to be liberated from the terrible freedom of self-centeredness and to be conquered by love. Truth sets us free and enables us to direct our freedom to its goal of excellence and happiness. You see, it's not easy to surrender the person we are to the person we ought to be. But when this is done, something of the kingdom of God breaks into this world here and now. You know, on Friday when the knights were setting up the tent, one of them shared with me a story about when he was in Rome. It was shortly after 9-11. He said he almost wasn't able to go. But he was there, and he was right next to where John Paul II was walking. He said, this is just not like me, but I couldn't help myself but reach out and touch him as he walked by. And he said, as I did, shivers just went up and down my spine. Everyone who has shared a story with me about John Paul II describes it in similar terms. It was like that for me, just being in the same room as him. Something of the kingdom of God breaks into this world when life is lived according to that law of the gift. In his inauguration homily, which is the inspiration for our parish's capital campaign, John Paul II began by saying, Peter came to Rome. What else but obedience to the inspiration received from the Lord could have guided him and brought him to the city, the heart of the empire. Perhaps the fishermen of Galilee did not want to come here. Perhaps he would have preferred to stay there on the shores of Lake Genesaret with his boat and his nets. Yet guided by the Lord, obedient to his inspiration, he came here. Can't you just hear the interior thoughts of John Paul II? What else but obedience led me here? I would have preferred to stay in my beloved Poland. It was reported that as the votes were being tallied in the conclave in which he was elected, John Paul II put his head into his hands as it became clear he would be Pope. His life was over in so many ways. John Paul I had been Pope for just 35 days. The cardinals thought he would be the one to lead the church for years to come, but God's providence had other plans. Perhaps some of us in this young parish of St. John Paul II have also thought something similar about being called to build a new parish. What else but obedience led me here? <laughs> I would have preferred to stay in my beloved former parish. But God's providence has other plans for us, giving us an extraordinary opportunity to live the law of the gift, to obtain greater freedom by becoming more authentically who, been, who we have been created to be, a libation, an offering, an invitation to others to open wide the doors to Christ. Be not afraid, John Paul II said in that homily. Christ knows that which is in man, who, what we are. He alone knows it. Let's turn to God, whose Son revealed what a human being fully alive looks like. 
and ask him the question John Paul II frequently asked himself. What is God asking of me now? What is God asking of you now? May our patron gain us the ears to hear and the heart to follow Christ anywhere.